this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, guys, we've been on this long journey uh, throughout the scripture over the last, uh, I I was going to say like last couple months, but it's been like well over a year now where we've been kind of asking this question of what does it look like to live for another kingdom in the midst of a culture that is hostile towards the way of Jesus? I realize that's a lengthy question and that's like an endeavoring phrase, but all of our teaching, all of our messaging has kind of stemmed from this idea of what does it mean to be countercultural? And that naturally led us to kind of the culmination of it in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. You could uh, consider Jesus' Sermon on the Mount his manifesto of like what it actually means to be countercultural. Like there isn't something I think that is uh, kind of more defined of what it looks like to live against the culture than what we find in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, it's been awesome. I, I have to say, as a pastor, this has probably been one of my favorite things to tackle from the scripture and uh, was not prepared for how good it actually was going to be. <laughs> I realize that sounds silly, especially coming from a, a pastor. Like, of course, I should know that the words and the teaching of Jesus is going to be great. But man, it's really good. Matthew chapter 4, uh, he tells us, uh, Matthew tells us in his gospel that uh, Jesus, when he began to preach, the message that he began to preach was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, I keep reiterating this because I think it's important for us to know when Jesus is saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he is saying that the kingdom of God is within reach. It's within grasp. It's accessible to you. And he says it's by way of repentance that that transpires. And then he proceeds to teach us throughout the Sermon on the Mount what repentance fleshed out in everyday life is going to look like. And so if you have to, when we ask this question of what does a Christian look like, what is our guidebook? Like what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be identified as different from the culture? Jesus gives us the answer in his preaching on the Sermon on the Mount of how we ought to live, what should motivate us, what should drive us, and how to function as Christians in a society that hates God. Plain and simple, you guys got it? We can go home, it's good? Woo, boom. (laughs) But uh, we're right smack dab in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Like, we, uh, we hit and we came into the Lord's Prayer, which is arguably probably like one of the most familiar passages of Scripture that exists within our culture. You know, like they pray it before baseball games. Sometimes I use that example. Like we've been, uh, it's common in uh, funerals. I've been to weddings where they recite it. Uh, uh, It's one of those things that's liturgical in nature in a lot of Christian tradition. Or if uh, you come from the Catholic background, right, you say so many are fathers in order to like prove penance in some things. I'm not Catholic, so if I mess that up, I'm sorry. But my understanding of that, that that plays into that. Um, 
It's one of those things that exists. It's familiar. And I think one of the greatest travesties that could take place would be that we would let our familiarity with these words negate the importance of what Jesus is actually saying. Because Jesus here, right, we, we look at Jesus as the one with the perfect prayer life. We look at Jesus as the one that communed with the Father in such a way that, the Father, uh, that, that, that Jesus said that he and the Father are one while he was praying, he says this. And it's in that context that uh, we understand, we look to Jesus as the primary model for what a healthy prayer life should look like. And we've talked a little bit about this, that you cannot function as a Christian. And I, I'll say this, you cannot be a Christian by the way that Jesus defines following him without praying, right? We talked about this a lot, that it's not like a spiritual gift. It's not like, oh man, you got the spiritual gift of prayer. You've got the spiritual gift of fasting. No, these were all things that Jesus uh, expected of his followers, Jesus expected of his people, of those that would profess faith in him, he expected of his disciples that you would pray. And so he breaks down how we ought to pray in this model prayer, in the Lord's prayer. And I, I think it's easy for us maybe to grow familiar with it and forget the fact like this is amazing. Like the, this, even in its simplicity, is so majestic and glorious, it ought to move our hearts every time we encounter it. And so my prayer is that it wouldn't just grow formulaic with us. It wouldn't just grow something that we recite or, you know, just like something that we pinpoint to a T because that's the very thing that Jesus warned about in his Sermon on the Mount, in the teaching that we wouldn't just blabber on and recite things like Gentiles do and think that they'd be heard for their many words or these things. But he gives us this outline and there's in here is such beautiful truth that will change your life if you allow it. Okay, cool. So that was my introduction. That was my overview. And I should look at my notes. We might do this. Um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. So right, we, we, we paused right here in the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and... Uh, it's been fun. It's been awesome. Guys, we have a podcast now. If uh, you want to go back and listen to anything, we're working on getting the older ones re-uploaded. Um, but for the last two weeks here, we have podcasts and video that are going to be on our YouTube channel. And uh, we're working on that. The internet's down here today. The internet's down on Sundays in Pagosa. It's just a thing. And so that's why we've temporarily postponed our live stream until we uh, have a greater internet connection. But we're in Matthew chapter 6, not what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, so guys, the Lord's Prayer is naturally split into two different themes, okay? Um, with six specific requests or petitions um, broken up throughout those two themes. And uh, the, first of the first theme deals primarily with God and his glory. We see that with the hallowing of his name, the coming of his kingdom, and the doing of his will. The second three, or the second theme that we encounter in the Lord's Prayer, have to do with our needs. Um, our physical needs, our relational needs, and our spiritual needs. Our needs for daily provision, for forgiveness, and strength in the face of temptation. 
And this is really cool because all of these petitions, all the last five petitions, deal primarily in fulfilling that first one, that God's name would be hallowed or that God himself would be regarded as holy in your life and in our society and in our culture. The, the overarching goal, the overarching thing of everything in this prayer, I believe, points back to that first petition, that first prayer, that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or if you read in the New Living Translation, it says, would your name be kept holy? Would you be regarded as holy? And would you be regarded as holy in my life? And so we see that as kind of this primary overarching function in the Lord's Prayer of that the of the utmost importance from the very onset is that God would be regarded as holy, and He does that through the fulfillment of these other petitions that we bring before Him. You guys tracking with me? I talked about that in our first week when we first started uh, talking on the Lord's Prayer, but I just felt like it was important to reiterate that because it points back to God being regarded as holy happens when His kingdom is when His kingdom comes. It happens when His will is being accomplished. It happens when our needs are being met, our spiritual needs, our sins are being forgiven, our debts uh, we're forgiven. We're practicing mercy. And when we're not being led into temptation, those all help fulfill that first petition of God being regarded as holy in our life by the way that we live, by the way that we function, and having him at the first place. And so that is the background of what brings us to Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, is this prayer that's very simple. It's very short. It's give us this day our daily bread. Jesus doesn't even say, please. Like if my son said, give me some bread, I'd be like, what do you say? Please. Um, but here, no, the, the prayer in the context of this is everything begins to shift, right? It, this is where it begins to shift from the, the first section, the first uh, three petitions that primarily deal with God and his glory. And now the focus begins to shift after that's been placed in the rightful place onto us and our needs. And we see this in verse 611, give us this day our daily bread. Does anybody know anybody that over-spiritualizes everything? Uh, does anybody have a friend like that? <laughs> My mother-in-law just said, that's me. <laughs> um, I love you. <laughs> um, but for real, does anybody have like a friend like that? That it's like, oh man, the color of shirt that you're wearing means this today. Or you're like stuck in like construction. And so you've got like grandma that is like casting out the demon of traffic or something like that. Uh, because everything is like super spiritual. You guys have friends like that? Did you just point to me? <laughs> Thanks, Shelby. <laughs> Your black shirt over here represents death. And, no, I'm kidding. Sorry. But I'm saying this because I, I tend to have the longing and the desire to look at Scripture and want it to be more profound sometimes than it actually is because I have this like self-esteem issue. Like I want to like bring some kind of spiritual truth maybe that you didn't see and be like, whoa, look how smart Nate is or how like pastory and scholarly he is and be impressed by my depths of knowledge on the word. Um, but in all actuality, sometimes uh, the Bible just means what it says. 
not sometimes, I'd say most of the time. Um, it, uh, it has a pretty simplistic meaning. And when Jesus spoke of bread here, I honestly literally think he was talking about like bread full of gluten that you eat and satisfy and you're like satisfied with, right? Um, I say this because when you read this, there's a lot of different interpretations um, from theologians throughout history. The, the early church fathers disagreed on what Jesus was talking about here when he says, give us our daily bread. And, uh, you, you know, they thought, well, surely he was being allegorical because how could Jesus in this such a majestic prayer care about something so ordinary? And that was literally the thought process. So they said, well, it's got to be in communion. Or maybe, maybe he's talking about himself, right? Maybe he's talking about the word of God because you remember Jesus said, man should not live on bread alone, but on every, wor uh, on every word that comes out of the father's mouth. So how could he actually be talking about bread here? You know, they theorize that Jesus was referring to something else other than himself. Um, and I did a lot of study on this. And so I'm kind of giving you my best interpretation and support here. But uh, I, have to agree, I have to agree with John Calvin, who said those ideas were absurd. He actually said they're excessively absurd, that Jesus was talking about bread, and he was talking about meeting our physical needs. I can come to this conclusion reading through the rest of the prayer, but then immediately going into the rest of the teaching on the chapter, talking about material possessions, talking about our needs, talking about what God wants to provide us with and having trust and faith in him that he'll meet our needs, which we'll talk about here in a second. I, I honestly think that the best reading of this passage deals with Jesus actually caring about our physical needs, talking about food in our bellies. How many, of you, how many of you guys love that Jesus cares about food in your belly? Mm, I'm all about that in Jesus' name. I gained 13 pounds on Daniel's wedding trip. So pray for me. That's confession. I backslid hard. <laughs> it was all donuts. <laughs> oh, man, now I confessed. Please pray for me. I got to get back on track. You see me with a donut in my hand or something? Slap it out. Give me a salad. Praise Jesus. <laughs> but I believe the context of the rest of this chapter that we'll talk about here in a moment, this, this passage of scripture, I believe the context points to a simple truth and that God cares about your everyday needs and you should pray about them. I really, I really wanted to approach this with like some profound like spiritual revelation truth bomb that would be like, wow. But... I think the simplistic idea here is far more beneficial for us, easier to relate to, and should be comforting for you to know that God cares about what you need. Even the things that may seem simplistic may seem not that important to other people, but how many of you guys know if you don't have food, that's a big deal, right? Uh, if you don't have like a refrigerator full of food and you are hungry, uh, you need food to survive, and so while we may talk about these things as seemingly small and insignificant, understand what Jesus was talking about here was something of necessity, not just something that would be like convenient, man, I really wish I had a blue star donut. We'll talk about that, and I'm excited about, not talk about donuts, but. 
So up until this point, our prayer has been focused upward. God has ordained that we set him in the first place because in seeking him and his kingdom first, our priorities can be set to bring our needs unmolested by improper motivation before him. When God sits on the rightful place of our hearts, when he has the first place of preeminence and priority, and we're concerned primarily about him receiving his glory, it positions us to bring our needs before him, not in a manner that's tainted by something that isn't his will, but really lays bare what our needs actually are. Because it's easy for me to come before God with an idea of what I want and be like, God, could you make this happen and have that fall short? But when I come before him understanding that this is because I want you to be holy in my life. I want you to be regarded as holy in your life. I want your kingdom to manifest where I am in practicality, in reality, while I'm here on the earth. And I want your will to be accomplished with my very being. Then I can come and say, God, for that to happen, I need this. For that to happen, I need this. I don't need a Maserati for that to happen. I don't need a private jet for that to happen. I don't need a ton of money in the bank account for that to happen. But there are some physical needs like, God, I need to be able to eat. I need to be able to provide something for my family. I need some shelter. Or if I'm sick in my body, God, I need you to heal me. There are real physical needs. Like uh, you've got that guy that had the pyramid of needs. Some, yeah, that guy. He's uh, like, like food, shelter, and safety. I think that's it. I didn't take. I did take psychology in high school, but I don't remember it. Um, but there are some basic like needs that humankind needs. Like we need food, we need water, we need shelter, we need safety in order to survive. And God cares about them. He cares about what you need. And he cares about what you need to accomplish his will. Hmm. So we say that. We read in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6. It says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles for all after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. So I have a question for you guys to ponder. If our Father, who is perfect, who loves giving good gifts to his children, knows what we need, why then are we requested to pray for them? What kind of, why does God here say, you should pray for your daily needs. You should pray for the things that matter that you need. And then he goes on here just a few verses later in the same sermon to say, don't worry about any of that. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or where you're going to sleep or any of that stuff, right? <laughs> because God already has it in control. So why does he invite us to pray for that. And I, I think it may seem out of sorts to pray for what God has already promised, but he asks us to nonetheless, he invites us to be partners in his generous care for us. I like to think of John Wesley, who had this principle that uh, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. 
And it's not because he doesn't want to do it. It's not because he can't do it without you, but he invites us into this place of partnership where he can demonstrate his generous care for you and really bring recognition to the fact that when he does move, he gets credit for it. When we come to him in prayer, even with the simplistic needs that we might have. He loves to respond in that way. It's this magnificent portrait of an all-powerful, glorious creator, the ruler of the universe, the God that sits on the throne that we were singing about, the one that spoke creation into existence, that at, a, at one single time is, is tracking billions of, uh, of events that are taking place throughout the earth and personally sees everything that's going on. And he bends and he stoops low to hear about the fact that you need bread. And he, he hears your voice when you say, I need this Jesus. Would you give us daily bread? And he responds. It really puts into perspective how good God is really puts into perspective how majestic his being is. I, I was reading this in Isaiah. It says, for Isaiah 57, 15 says this, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to receive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is the God that is high and holy. He lives in a holy place. He, he's the one that is, is all. Uh, you, you can't even begin to wrap your mind around how good and how powerful and how majestic he is. And he stops that and he stoops down to respond to your very real physical needs. And spiritual needs, we'll get into those. But today we're talking about physical needs because um, I'm trying to be brief and concise. This is something that you need to know, that you are not bothering God by bringing your needs to him. I think we, before I knew Jesus, my concept, and when I first came to know Jesus, my concept of prayer was, God, would you help me on this math test? God, would you do this for me? God, would you do this for me? God, would you do this for me? And I treated God kind of like as, like a, like a genie, in a bottle, you know, like, God, would you do this for me? God, I need this. God, I want this, all of this stuff. And a lot of the times I think that that's kind of the conception that a lot of people have of what prayer actually is. It's, well, I need this to happen, so I'm going to ask God to do it. Prayer, Jesus blows it wide open, understanding that prayer is not just asking God for stuff, right? We understand that. Prayer is communal, it's relational, it's listening, it's responding, it's spending time. There's a lot more to prayer than just simply what we would talk about as intercession, asking God to do something. And that's why Jesus models prayer for us in this way, but it's still an important aspect of prayer. So I don't want you to feel like, I think maybe there, the pendulum has swung where we so focused and took the focus on actually asking God for stuff in prayer that we stopped asking God to do stuff in prayer. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. Um, because we are still called and we still have permission to ask God to do things when we pray. 
and ask God to meet needs when we pray. I, I love, John Stott says this, to decline to mention our needs on the ground that we should not bother God with such trivialities is as great an error as to allow trivialities to dominate our prayers. I realize those were fancy words, but what he's saying is, don't let your prayer uh, be absent from asking God for the little things because you feel like it's a distraction or you feel like you're bothering God. Um, in the same vein, our prayer life should not just be made up of asking God to do things for us. I hope that helps. But God made us with physical bodies. He knows that we have physical needs that have to be met. And I think a very simplistic function, not the only one here, of why he lists this first and asking God to give us this day our daily bread is the fact that he understands that our physical well-being also affects our spiritual well-being to some degree and our emotional well-being to some degree. When we were in a refuge school of ministry, Pastor Daniel and I, we had this understanding that if we were going to be healthy spiritually, we had to be healthy emotionally and physically at the same time. So, man, we had to get our butts out of bed and pray for an hour, and then we had to get to the gym and work out for an hour, which I was admittedly not very good at, uh, <laughs> and then we'd have to go pray again. And, and so there was, this, there was this understanding that there is a connectedness and that's why I love, like, even when we read about Elijah, right? And when he's having a down moment, like, what he did was he took a nap and ate some bread and was nourished in his body. There is some spiritual benefit to taking care of yourself physically. I'm just saying that, uh, not going to preach a sermon on that or, like, get you to sign up for my health care plan or anything. But there is importance uh, in understanding that there is a connectedness there. And God very much cares about your physical needs and what you need here and now. When we ask God for our daily bread, I believe it harkens back um, to the Israelites in the book of Exodus, right? Where God provides manna for the children of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness, right, for 40 years. And the, the manna would come down, they'd pile it up, they'd eat it. Um, but if they tried to store it for more than one day, excluding the Sabbath, uh, that it would rot right? And it wouldn't be any good. Um, and there's this beautiful picture of dependence on God that's demonstrated as they wait daily for God to move and eat what was provided for them daily. There was this practice of, uh, there was this practice of dependence on God that was supernatural, right? The Israelites had a, a physical need, right? They needed food in their bellies, there wasn't a physical solution to that problem for millions of Israelites in the middle of the wilderness. They needed spiritual, supernatural intervention. And the same, I think, is true for us today, that we have physical needs. We have physical, practical problems, and we're busy looking for a physical, practical solution when in reality, God wants to meet your practical needs with a supernatural source. It's easy for us in the West to fall into this trap because it's easy for us to provide, right? We got refrigerators. We've got a supermarket we can go to. It's easy for us to kind of disassociate with this fact. And we can believe God to supply our spiritual needs because we understand from a theological standpoint, there's nothing that I can do for my salvation to get right with God. That's something that's been drilled into us. We might understand that, right? 
We understand that, man, nothing I'm going to do or, or not do is going to help me get closer to God. So God, I believe you can meet every spiritual need in Christ Jesus, right? <laughs> We're quick to sign that. But our lifestyles tell me differently that we don't believe that he can supply every physical need for us every practical need. And the reality is there are practical needs that you and I are facing right now that need a spiritual, supernatural source. It doesn't, you've been wringing your hands wondering why something isn't going to work out, maybe with a job or with finances or with a place to live or, or these things. And it's because you're busy trying to make it happen in your own strength. When God says, I want you to step back and let me show you what I could do if you would learn to depend on me. If God can do the impossible by reconciling sinful man to a holy God, how much more is your simple need? Which I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of you in here that have a need, that you need God to do something. You need God to break through. I just want to put it in perspective. He reconciled humanity back to him through his death on a cross. What was impossible was made possible. The dead came to life, right? We, we saw the grave conquered in Jesus your, your lack of funds in the bank account, or even if you want to go as extreme, the fact that you may not have food on the table, or you're not sure what is going to play out provision-wise in the next number of years, or, or anything like that, that's not too big of a deal for God. Just, it's overwhelming for you, and you can struggle, and you can strive, or we can sit back and in a moment see God do what we fought for for so long and so hard, him accomplished so easily. There's a lot to that that I don't have time to unpack right now. But the reality is, when we ask God to meet our daily needs, we learn what dependence looks like. And we see Jesus go on here in saying, don't worry, right? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. We're going to talk a little more in depth about how do you not worry about those things? How do you not worry about money being in the bank account when there's no money and there's no sign of it on the horizon? How do you worry about not having food to feed your kids when there's no food in the refrigerator? <laughs> or if you don't have a refrigerator? How, how does the human condition not experience anxiety about the, 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 the equation of lack, Right? It's through prayer. It starts back just a few verses before where we surrender this to the Lord and understanding that we ask God for what we need and understanding that he's faithful to provide for our needs. And it, you can lean back on the word of God. Philippians 4, 19 says, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There is an answer for our needs. And I don't, I don't know what everybody has today. And I, I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to go, you know, I wanted to unpack a bunch of stuff, but I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to pause as I was kind of uh, reworking notes and stuff this morning and simply do what we've been talking about. 
I imagine that there are, there, there are some people in here that you have a real need. Maybe it's a need for a place to stay. Maybe it's a need for a job. Maybe it's a need for direction. Maybe it's a need for, God, I need an answer to this prayer. Um, or maybe you've been praying for something to happen and it just hasn't happened. Maybe you just need breakthrough in a, in a series of areas of your life. I'm not sure. Maybe it's a breakthrough in your health where you need God to touch your physical body. He wants to respond. And I believe he wants to show himself faithful. And he wants to really open us up into what dependence upon him and his spirit actually looks like. And so I want to do that this morning. If you guys would stand with me for just a moment. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.